welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 246, the Scott Ellis Seminar from the 2019 NWTF Convention. And I am your host and the guy who is coming to you from location this week. Yes, I'm actually on vacation this week with my lovely bride. And as you all know, anytime you're on vacation, the time flies and I'll soon be back at work. (laughs) So all is well, having a good time. Right now though, we are 247 days, 19 hours, 23 minutes and 25 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So this past weekend, I went to my property down south of Birmingham and went fishing. And while I was there, I actually saw two hens with nine poults. And I think that it was the same two hens with nine poults that my buddy Todd saw down there the weekend before. But those are the first hens that I've seen with poults in Alabama this year. So I was excited to see that. But I do need to say, I haven't seen a whole lot of hens this year. I think I've seen a total of seven hens and only two of those have poults. So nine poults out of seven hens is a pretty poor recruitment rate. And hopefully there is a flock of six or eight hens running around somewhere on the property that have 30 or 40 poults with them like I saw a couple of years ago down there. And if that's the case, then I'll feel a lot better about the hatch and recruitment. But at this point in time, it ain't looking real rosy, at least where my property sits. So I mentioned to you guys that this week I'm going to be bringing the Scott Ellis Seminar from the 2019 NWTF Convention to you. And we're going to go ahead and jump into that, get this thing started. There's some really good content in this seminar, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So listen in, and I will see you guys on the other side. Appreciate y'all being here. I know the gates just opened up to the uh, convention. So just let the crowd stand out just a little bit, huh? Before you get in there and get attacked by everybody. Yeah. Um, super excited to be here. This is about my... 15th convention I think 
and uh, brought, bring my wife and son here, Jake. Y'all, if y'all watch the show Hunt Quest, if you haven't, check it out on YouTube. Uh, you'll see a lot of Jake Ellis. He's here, and he's grown up here, you know, year to year. And he won the Polts at the Grand Nationals two years ago, and then he retired on a high note and he quit. <laughs> Ten years old, he won the Polts division, then he then he retired. He said, "I'm done. Finish on a high note." I think he loves to hunt as much or more than I do, but ultimately, he uh, the calling thing he did it because Daddy did it, and he did his thing. And I think now he's just going to hunt. He's my hunting buddy, so that's that's good. That's a good thing, but. Yeah, it's a great time. It's a it's a fast, busy three days. There's no doubt about it. But it's a lot of fun. We are uh, blessed. A week from tomorrow, today's Friday, right? A week from tomorrow, Jake and I will be turkey hunting. So he's 12 now, and we can hunt youth hunt in Florida. The South Zone is uh, last weekend in February. So we've been blessed with that to have some connections down there with some good friends that have some places, and we're going to get to go down there and and hunt a week from tomorrow. So not only is it fun coming in the convention, and you know I'm calling in the Grand Nationals, and that's always exciting for me and everything. And then being in the Woodhaven booth and just meeting people and talking with folks like yourself, and and uh, we get to know that tomorrow we'll be standing at Al and listening for a bird to gobble a week from tomorrow morning. So that's that's some incentive if there's ever incentive yeah so but uh, I guess that's how I'm good I think we're just going to get this thing started so the, na- the name of the seminar is called setting the mood and that obviously had to raise a few eyebrows <laughs> I'm sure going what exactly is setting me well obviously you guys probably know our competition turkey call so uh, I call it a little bit higher level than the average guy is going to call um, I think Woodsmanship plays a vital role in what we do when we're out there calling up birds and setting up on birds and moving on birds. The woodsmanship is a very key factor, but I think people totally underlook or underestimate or overlook, if you will, how much and how important it is to truly learn and talk to turkeys and not just call at turkeys. Okay, so setting the mood is simply if you learn the language of the wild turkey and you become proficient on your calls, you literally can learn you can somewhat, and I'm not going to say this works every time, you can somewhat control your destiny. I do it every season. And by doing that, what I do, I set the mood. I take the pulse of the gobbler. I think Will Primos coined it years ago. He used to say, take the pulse, or the temperature. But old Will used to, Wilbur Primos used to say, I say, take the pulse. And you're reading that gobbler and seeing how, is he fired up? Is he not so fired up? And what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to give you different scenarios on how I will use the language. We can go over all the calls. i got a couple mouth calls here. I'll run for you and give you some demonstrations of the stuff. But we're going to talk about how how you can set the mood, you can pique his interest, you can change his mood by what you're literally saying to him and not just cut, cut, yelp, 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 gobble, 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 cut, cut, yelp, 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 gobble, gobble, gobble. And it all depends again on taking his pulse. So what I like to do when I first start out on a bird, now obviously we can talk roost scenarios. I don't start, the game never starts for me until he's, his feet hit the ground. I like to tree call to him, let him know where he's at. You know, basic turkey calling one-on-one, right? You out he gobbles, you set up 100 yards from him on the roost, and you give him some tree talk, and you try to get him to let him know you're there. You try to get him fired up a little bit on the limb, then you shut up, and then I don't, don't overcall him on the limb. Then he flies down, then the games begin. And that's when the fun starts. So from that point on is where I start trying to figure out, is he excited? Is he is he apprehensive? Is he is he gobbling at everything in the woods? Not just you. Is he gobbling? at crows and owls and he's just super fired up so that's where I always tell my friends and people that ask me just start basics with him you're going to greet the gobbler and see how fired up he is you're going to take his pulse and basically all I'm going to do when that first initial contact is made is I'm just going to do some plain yelping to him. You don't want to dump all your bag of tricks out on the table before you you engage the bird right off the four, four, four or five minutes of the engagement. Hello come on in. Come on in. <laughs> 
So yeah, um, so I just like to hit him with a couple clucks and a yelp. I'm not going to start initially cutting at him and, and getting all excited and trying to get him fired up right off the bat because it may only take four or five yelps and you kill him. And you're just greeting that gobbler. You're setting. You're not really getting fired up. You're just being civil and saying hello. How are you? And I mean, I'll demonstrate it. Y'all know what a yelp sounds like, but I just like to call, so you're going to listen to me call. <laughs> I got to get warmed up for the prelims later. But so I'm just going to, you know, light yelp. Remember, inflection is a very, very important part of how we call. And when I say inflection, I'm meaning speed of rhythm. You think an excited hen cuts real hard and real fast, she's excited. If she cuts a little bit slower, she's not quite as agitated, she's not quite as excited. If she yelps real, real fast, there's a reason for it. She's excited about something's got her wound up, whether she's angry or she's just excited. Maybe the gobbler's coming to her and she's just excited. So remember that when you're putting inflection in your calling. Speed of rhythm volume, and volume as well. If you can get louder and then you get faster, that's going to in. You're giving the impression of more excitement, more excitement. So I'm going to start the engagement with just say, hey, how are you? Remember, don't dump the bag of tricks out on the podium before you have a chance to use them. So I'm just going to yell a few times. That's about it. Just some light clucks. There was nothing that was pretty mundane. It was pretty ordinary. There was nothing about it. What happens a lot of times? Sometimes that's all it takes. You got a hot two-year-old. How many likes hot two-year-olds? <laughs> They're my favorite kind of turkey. The ones that run you over. Kamikazes. You yelp a couple times and they run you right over. I love those birds. But here's the thing. Maybe he starts closing right in. Well, all I'm going to do from that point is just yelp. Just keep yelping like that. I'm not. Why get excited? I don't need to because he's already closing the distance. And it's not taking a bunch of excitement to get him there. That way, again, what? You have your bag of tricks to dump out. You have all the other things I'm going to talk about here in the next 30 minutes. So maybe that works. Maybe it doesn't. So the next thing we're going to talk about, you've, you've yelped to him. He's gobbling pretty good. You're just being basic. He's just not wound up. One of the things I like to do from there is I call exciting. You're just going to try to fire him up. So I'm going to do what? I'm going to put a little more inflection in my calling. I'm going to bring that excitement level up. I'm going to do a little light cutting, and I'm going to speed that rhythm of that yelp up just a little bit to make him say, I'm pleading, I'm yearning for him. I, I want his company, but I'm not going over there. We know we're, we're reversing nature. We all know that. But, but gobblers will still go to hens in a while, too. Don't everybody, let anybody convince you of that, or we, we wouldn't kill turkeys if it didn't happen in the wild the same way. So don't ever think that. I mean, in, in nature, technically, the gobbler gobbles, the hens go to him. Yes, that's the way it happens. But there's many many times when hens will yelp and cut and the gobble will go to him. Again, that's why we kill turkeys because we reverse it. So that said, I'm going to step my game up a little bit. I'm going to get a little bit excited. And I'm going to light cut at him a little bit and maybe get that faster. Check, listen to the rhythm of the yelp here. I'll pick up the rhythm of the yelp. Try to get his attention, get him excited. I'm trying to set that mood and get him a little excited. faster, maybe a little louder, a little bit of cut notes on the front. A lot of times that will turn him around, do a 180, he'll come right to you, and that changes the game. There's, there's another trick I just threw at that gobbler by trying to get him excited and change his mood and show him that I'm very, very interested. Okay, so say you get say that didn't work or it maybe he maybe he closed another 50 yards say he was 150 he closed another 50 he's at 100 maybe 90 and then he's still not wanting to cooperate he's still not wanting to close the distance so at that point i'm gonna again you're, you're feeling is he slowly moving how often are you calling I'm, in that situation i'm gonna call every five to seven minutes i'm not gonna you don't want to call every minute and a half i know 
I'm a turkey hunter. I know 30 seconds seems like four hours. We all know this now. Come on. So, but just try to stretch it out and put that little space in between those sequences and not give it too much too quick. Just let him work. Let him, let him be thinking about you and, and fuming about you. And man, she sounds really excited. I ought to go see her. She sounds real pretty. I'm going to go find her. So you just let him work. Let him do his thing, you know. Well, <clears throat> If that doesn't work, I'm going to step it up even more. And, I, and, and it's what I call scalding him. It's something, a, a term I came up You know, when your mama got after you when you were little, she scalded you for, for doing something wrong. Well, that's what I call scalding. And that's when I get even more excited. I'll give you a quick demonstration. Get more, more cutting, more excitement. And you're really trying to make a stand to say, you either come over here now or else. Okay? So then I'm going to bring, again, I'll demonstrate. I'm going to bring it up even another notch. And this all comes with practice on your calls. What I said, some of you guys missed it when I came in, is how important and how uh, um, overlooked calling is. People say, oh, calling, calling. It makes a difference in killing turkeys consistently if you're a better caller. And you put great woodsmanship together. So I'm going backwards on y'all, but get proficient on the calls, whether it's a pot call or a glass call or a mouth call or this tube call around my neck or a box call, whatever. But I'm going to step that calling up and get more excited. Listen, what is he doing? Oh, crap. He's turning around. Here he comes. And, that, and what you're doing is you have just got after that gobbler. And you, you're telling him, you, you get over here now, or we're going to have an issue. It's in my mind what you're tell, telling that gobbler in turkey language. And that's the cutting. We know cutting is an excitement call. It shows either anger, if she's angry, or it can show uh, it's an attention getter to a gobbler. It can show excitement as well. So, so you've gotten, you've really stepped the game up. The bird is just not closing down. Okay, you've tried to, you tried to peak his mood. You tried to get him excited, get him all, get him all worked up, basically, and uh, that's not working. So from that point. I'm going to do what I love to do, and this is going to be even harder for people to, to envision because we like to hear them gobble, and I'm a turkey hunter, and I like to hear him gobble. But once you got him to that level and he's hanging 90, hanging 90 yards out, just quit calling altogether. Completely stop calling. I'm talking for a 15, 15, 15 minute span, stop calling. Just go quiet. It's, he, he thinks you just did what I just did. You do it on your box, you do it on your mouth, call whatever. He thinks that hen is left. And that has killed probably as many turkeys as any sweet calling method that I've ever done that may have led up to that point of me shutting down. But he thinks she's gone. And, and I'm telling you, I don't have a good percentage. I'd probably say half the time that will work if you can stay silent long enough. Now, sometimes what's the other, the other side of that coin is the gobbler will just get, lose interest and he'll walk off. And that's when you have to check him again. Once he, if he's gone quiet, you obviously be looking for spitting and drumming or listening for spitting and drumming. <laughs> Y'all know the sound. Listen for that because he may not say anything coming in. If that sucker gobbles on his own after that last little bit of engagement, get ready. Just get your gun out and be ready. If he gobbles on his own, that means he's pleading back to her trying to find out, look, I'm over here still. There's a good chance he'll break if he gobbles on his own after you've done that type of engagement. So if just sit and wait. Sit and wait. Refrain. Refrain. I know it's hard. Put your hands in your pockets. Take your mouth calls out of your mouth. Just try to refrain from calling to him and just let him do his thing. It's, cat. it's a game of cat and mouse. And curiosity killed a cat. And that kills a lot of turkeys too. So we've shut him down now. Okay. Nothing's working. He gobbled on his own. He still didn't close. He's out there 80, 90 yards, and he's just not wanting to close the deal. So then I go to what I call the uh, fire him up and shut him down method. And when I say fire him up and shut him down is simply there's been a bit of silence. Okay, we, we got the gobbler thinking, man, is she there? Is she not? Okay, well, he didn't close, so I've got to do something or he may walk off. So I'm going to give him some more of that excited cutting and yelping, and then I'm going to wait about a minute, 30 seconds, and I'm going to go to clucking and purring, which is one of my 
favorite things to do. Come on in. And one of my favorite things to do, and this, like I said, this is called fire him up and shut him down. So you've worked him in. He hangs up. You're hammering away at him. He's really excited, but then you go quiet, and that didn't work, and he does not close the deal. So then I'm going to start clucking and purring. I'm going to get that excited series, give it just like I said a minute, maybe 30 seconds, and then I'm going to go into a cluck and purr and start whining and scratching if I can move. You know, obviously you're going to be cognizant of movement if he's out there in front of you, but scratching in the leaves, that old school stuff. And what that does is basically if you think of a guy that's (laughs) – this is a horrible analogy, but just roll with this for a Indulge me for a minute. He's at a bar, and he's talking to a nice pretty young lady, and that lady's very interested in him, and then she starts ignoring him what does he do what's that guy going to do somebody help me out here <laughs> he's, he's going to work even harder right so that's what you're doing in my in my impression of the fire up shut him down is you get him wound up like that and he's he's strutting he's tr- showing off for the ladies and then you start clucking and purring it's like it's just like eh, i'm just going to go over here and feed and scratching the leaves i don't i'm, I'm done talking to you so i'll, I'll demonstrate how i'm talking about So I did that little excited segment, and I'm going to just give it a second, and then... So it's like she goes to feed. And all you're doing there is, again, is you're making him, we're setting the mood. That's the whole seminar. We went from, I'm really excited, to, well, not so much. I'm just going to hang out here and scratch and eat acorns. <laughs> and that, very often, almost similar to the silent method, will drive him bananas. Uh, and I had him break and come right in right after that. That's the fire him up, shut him down. Um, from there... What if he's got another scenario you got to look at when this, as this sequence comes in? Does he have hens? Is that what's going on? Now, if he's got hens, then that, that changes the whole game. You can also set the mood with the hens. So I'm going to do a quick dissertation that what I like to talk about with, with hens being involved with the same deal. That may be why he's not breaking. He's hung up on you. And it's really simple. Hens, there's a harem of hens. A gobbler has 4, 5, 6, 10, 12, 15 hens. There's a boss hen in that group. The, the dominance is established. There's a hierarchy established. That boss hen is the boss hen. She's going to have, in, in my travels, in 30-plus years of turkey hunting, she's going to have one of two personality traits. She's either going to be very dominant and aggressive and always bowing up to the other girls and making sure they know what's up, or she might be a little bit more. She, she may be the boss, but she might be a little less confrontational. Okay? So this is the thing. When you, when you realize he has hands, you heard a hen yelp at you. Oh, man, what is 95% of turkey hunters, if you ask, if you polled them, and they said if they realized that that gobbler had hens, what, somebody tell me, what do you think would be the initial answer if they said, he's got hens and she yelped, what do you do? What would be your, somebody raise their hand, what would be your answer you would say to do the hens? Yell back. Well, that is a great answer, in fact, because go ahead, Andy. Challenge. See, Challenge. that's the that's the generic answer. But here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in your head and let you let your brain wrap around this for a minute. If it's a coy or a shy hen, you've got one of the two, right? If you go immediately and start challenging that hen, and she's that more passive hen, she's not as dominant, she's not as aggressive, and you start cutting right, you, she yelps, holy crap, he's got a hen, so I'm going to start cutting real hard. What normally happens in that situation? They go the other direction. So you got to, so let me finish my dissertation here. I love talking about this. So, so you got the dominant aggressive or you got the coy. So what do you do then? You do what that gentleman just said, just yelp to her. Just say, hey, how are you doing? Remember, I mean, I could go in, we probably could talk for another 30 minutes about just the language itself and learning what a call means to a turkey, at least to my knowledge and what we've studied through biology and, you know, years of turkey hunting and everything. But 
If you just start with a civil, we know a civil Yelp, just a calm Yelp, just like I talked about earlier, just the plain basic Yelp is just a, hello, how are you doing communication call. So she Yelps, oh crap, she's got hens, dang. Okay, but she Yelped. I'm going to Yelp back to her. I'm just going to do that same slow, easy, soft, no cutting, no nasty, be civil, be very um, nice to the hen, if you will. I'm just going to Yelp real nice for her. Maybe you want to do some really soft clutch. Hey, hi, what's up, girl? And see, she yelps back. So then you yell back to her. And all you ever do in that engagement is just simply yelp to her. You don't want to get aggressive. That's If you do that, like the man said right there, there's very likely that's the ones that, oh, man, the hens took them all. Well, that may still happen because they are still turkeys. Don't get me wrong. This is not the cure-all, but, but it will at least keep you from running off. If you get too aggressive too fast, you'll keep that part of that equation from happening where they just turn and go the opposite, opposite direction immediately. So start civil. Now, if the second part of that scenario is if that hen gets nasty and aggressive right off the bat, that kind of opens the door a little bit more to getting nasty and aggressive to her. Then then she's that dominant, aggressive, confrontational boss hen personality that we talked about earlier. That's when I'm going to get nasty with her. That's when it's worked for all the guys that talk about how they called on top of her. They called over her while she was calling, and then she cut, you cut on top of her, and that's when it worked. That's that dominant, aggressive hen. She's the one that probably brings over more gobblers than the, the passive hen, honestly. The one that gets aggravated real quick and is very confrontational. Um, but if you start civil and you do the basic stuff, you won't offend the, the shy hen, and then that still could bring the gobblers over. Another thing here, too, I've got to grab a different call. Another situation, too, to look at is simply um, Kiki running. Um, I've had a lot of success with if the other if I was civil and that didn't work and she never got aggressive and I so I didn't challenge her didn't want to get aggressive right off the bat I kiki run and I think what happens is you know you're not far from removed from the winter flocks when spring comes along and what do turkeys do during the fall they key they they whistle they do it the young birds do it so I think this has worked for me a few times over the years where when you start keying you're keying like a lost turkey and I think sometimes, this is a theory that I have, that that maternal instinct will kick into that mama hen, that boss hen. And she'll be like, well, well who is that? Well, who's that over there? That's little Susie. We lost her in the flock a couple weeks ago. So I key to them, and that will often, she'll, they'll answer that the flock birds will sometimes key back. The jennies that are in that flock possibly will key back, and then they'll, and they'll come in and um, bring the gobbler over rings. And I'll, I'll do some kikiing for you. Get my toothpick out of the car. Mouth call care. Toothpick your calls. Put a, a toothpick, plastic toothpick, in between the top reed and the second reed. When you go to the woods, all you do is just do what I did. You wiggle the toothpick underneath the reeds, and you're ready to call. The reeds are not stuck. It prolongs the life of the call. So there's a little sidebar tip for you. But I do some light kiki running. Just like so, and, and that's just basically talking to the hens and saying, "Hey, I'm over here, and I need some company. Y'all want to wander over here?" And it, it's worked a few times. Always remember this. I mean, the more tricks you have up your sleeve, the more things you can throw at him. The more scenarios that you can do besides cut, cut, yelp, yelp, cut, cut, yelp, yelp. You know, if you know how to reposition on turkeys, if you know how to do a kiki run, or we'll get into something. Another level of setting the mood is going to be challenging here in a minute. We're going to talk about uh, staging a fight and Jake yelping, which is another form of setting the mood based on aggression, not just being in love on aggression. But anyways, all these different things, you learn these, and, and what happens for me when I go out and I kill a few turkeys is that you you 
seen the situation, you've seen something similar, so you start trying all these similar tactics. It kind of goes through your turkey encyclopedia and, you, and it runs through that processor and you go, well, I have this gobbler. He had some hens. Those hens started talking to me. They didn't get aggressive. I'm not going to get aggressive. I'm going to soft you up to them. Maybe they, you know, you just, you start encountering things you've seen before. And if not, even if not, if it's something you've never seen before, you, you can do all these different tactics that we're talking about. Um, repositioning, if you run deeks or don't run deeks, or you run a shrut decoy, or, or you can kiki run or fighting pearl, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. All these different tactics, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been, I've been sick for about a week. All these different tactics are things that you can try. You can thought, be three-dimensional. That's why I love turkey hunting so much. I love to bow hunt whitetails. I love it. But I love the three-dimensionality, if that's a word, of turkey hunting because there's so many it's, it, there's so many different things that can happen within a hunt from repositioning to crawling to you know if fanning is your thing it's not my thing but if you know you, there's so many different ways you can you can get a turkey hunt to be successful you know when you're when you're patterning whitetails buddy you're patterning whitetails and you're, you have scent control and you're hunting moon phases or you're hunting the rut and you know it's you're it's just a little more one dimensional as much as I love it it's more one dimensional you can grunt deer you can bleat deer I get that but not they, deer don't communicate like turkeys do with voices and with their vocalizations and that's why I love that's why I fell in love with turkey hunting 35 years ago because I'm actually playing Dr. Doolittle you know I'm talking to turkeys in their own language so um, we did the thing on the hens we talked about talking to the hens definitely something to keep in mind and how you approach your hens when you do realize you have them the next thing is going to be aggression like I said and um, that's one of those things that I'm going to do probably towards the end of an, an engagement I like to call it it's one of the last ditch things I'm going to do and I don't have a wing with me I do have a ball cap I can do y'all know the old trick you know you do a fly down cackle with it you can do a fighting purr with it as well and I'll demonstrate that but we're, we're now at this point trying to make him think there's another male, another gobbler, or Jake in this scenario. So the first thing I like to do before I gobble, or gobbling at him, and I'll gobble on the tube call for you, but the first thing I like to do before I, it's like the hen talk, before I go full bore in there, I like to just Jake yelp to him. Blow your mind. If you can learn the call, it's very simple. It's just a slow, deeper yelp, basically. Um, some jakes sound like hens. We know this to be true. We have to we have to jake yelp now in contest. And there, I've heard jakes that fooled me into thinking that they were hens. They were not. They were jakes. But I've heard also those honking jakes. I'll demonstrate it on my call and how to do it. Those honking, um, um, bugling sound, hollow sounding yelps that you you think when you say that's got to be a jake or a, or a gobbler, anyways. So you could do jake or gobbler yelps. But the, the key is deepening the pitch and slowing down the rhythm just a little bit and I think that they they have the ability to, to deduce what they're hearing as, as not a hen I think that's what that's what I believe they rationalize so so you start off with this engagement when this gobbler is hung up still not want to come in well I'm going to jake yelp at him and um, again I'll demonstrate it here and this is the same call I can hen you up on you just drop all the pressure off your call and then you slow the rhythm down just a little bit Real, real bugly sound, as opposed to. And what I do like to do is what I just did right there. I'll actually hen yelp the sexy hen he's been hearing, and then I'll answer it with those Jake yelps. And that, in my mind, puts it in his mind. Oh my gosh, that's got to be a, you know a young punk over there talking to my lady. You know, so so I'll, I'll do that engagement just like solo. And you can obviously hear 
even with our ears and we don't have hearing like turkeys do you can clearly hear that was two different birds and how deep and honky sounding that the jake was so that's what i like to start off with firstly first when i start trying to set that mood when i'm engaging uh the the gobbler side of it the male side of it putting him in the aspect and challenging being aggressive if that doesn't work then I'm going to step up the game. He doesn't pay any attention to that. Well, he's heard the hen yelping, and he's heard the Jake answering the hen. And then I'm going to start doing a little fight. I'm going to start staging a fight with fighting purrs, and I'm going to get my hat out. I carry a, a wing in my vest on a shock cord, which is awesome because you can do fly-down cackles with it. You can also do the fighting purr I'm fixing to do. But I'll, do, I'll demonstrate it with my hat just to get the gist of what it is. But then I'm going to stage a fight. And be, be very, very aggressive when you're slapping especially with a wing where it really sounds real that when they're flogging each other so that gobbler can surely hear that wing beats because that's that's a whole another seminar turkey sounds that aren't turkey calls that's another great seminar actually to talk about sometime but i'm going to stage a fight again make sure the gobbler can't see you obviously you don't want him you want to bump him because he sees you flailing your hat all over the place but that's what i'm going to do the fighting purrs and um, fighting purrs you just roll your tongue and blow hard you know when you're, you're doing a contending purr you're doing it soft Just a soft brain old fighting program, you're going to bring that aggression up and throw some wives in there. So, maybe throw a little half gobble like that in there and stage a fight. So, I've had them turn and come running in after that, especially if it's multiple birds. That's really weird when the guys are together. You see a bachelor flock that's still hanging together in the springtime, and you do that fight. It's like they're running over to get into fight. It's like it's like a schoolyard fight. Little kids starts getting into a fight, and what happens? Everybody starts running over there, see who's fighting, and it works. I mean, not every time, you know. That's turkey hunt. None of this ever works all the time. From there, um, if that doesn't work, and then we're again, we're just going through different scenarios of how you can set the mood for the gobbler. I'm going to gobble at him and just just do a full bore gobble with my tube call. I, I can do it with my voice, but I've been sick, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. So I'll just I'll fire off a couple gobbles with my tube call, and. Uh, this is the new Woodhaven Ninja too, by the way. <laughs> it's a good, good little call. My reed's flipped on me here real quick. Great call for running and gunning and locating. Um, I carry a tube call. If you follow anything I do, you probably always see one of these around my neck, and that's what I leave the running gun with and a gobble. But then I give a couple gobbles and see how he reacts. So that's the gobbler side of it. We talked about the hen side of it. We talked about shot, shutting him up and firing him up, shutting down, going quiet on him. Um, it's just, it's really critical to me. And, and outside of this, we could talk for another 20 minutes. And I, but I, if you can learn what the calls mean, what does a cluck and purr contented mean? What does an aggravated purr mean? What does a fighting purr mean? What does a soft bubble cluck mean in relation to a more loud, inquisitive cluck? There's a whole other seminar literally on that, on just the language of the birds. But if you just learn the language, you can learn how to communicate with him. You can, you can somewhat control and dictate your mood and dictate your destiny. It doesn't work every time, but the more tricks you have up your sleeve, the more turkeys you're going to kill. So um, that kind of concludes setting the mood and the different calling sequences I want to discuss after this i love we've been actually i've been talking for 30 minutes just about I, I love to open it up the floor up for questions and uh just talk turkey with folks so um sorry i've it's <laughs> you missed the meat of it but we're doing a q a so if you guys have any questions about um any things i've talked about or, or or turkey products or turkey calls or anything in general you got any questions or interest about holler anybody got anything i'm kind of interested in your stories how you What's becoming a turkey hunter to a call manufacturer? Okay, um, let's see here. It started with competition calling. I started turkey hunting about 10, and um, 
hunting public land in Florida, born and raised Floridian. And uh, I learned after becoming pretty good on them. I have a little bit of a musical ear. I play guitar. I sing a little bit. So I think that helps. It just came real natural, the sounds and emulating the sounds and manipulating the call to make the sounds. And then I was, see, fast forward seven years, I was killing a lot of turkeys as a young little kid and, and learned quickly that I could kill a lot more turkeys the more I sounded like a turkey. I mean, that's, you guys have seen my, I'm hoping you've seen Mouth Call Magic, my YouTube stuff. I mean, I'm always trying to give people instruction to help people because it can make a difference in sealing a deal. But I learned sounding more like a turkey was killing more turkeys. And then I was about 17, year old, 17 years old and in high school, a senior, still technically the juniors in the, call, in the calling uh, world right now. 17 and under eight was the juniors back in my old days. I'm 44 now. And they had the Florida State Turkey Calling Competition in uh, River Ranch, Florida, at the resort. At the resort, and I asked my uncle for twenty dollars because I didn't have any money. And I said, "Hey, do you mind uh, lending me twenty bucks? I want to go call the calling contest." And I talked to the guys. I said, um, "I'm pretty good at this turkey calling stuff, you know. I'm <laughs> cocky young kid." And I said, "Can I call up in the seniors? I've only got twenty bucks. I can't call in the juniors." Um, and I wanted to call them both of them. And he snickered and he laughed. Well, sure, son, you can call up in the in the juniors. Well, I ended up placing second in the in the Florida State 1992 as a junior, and um, that that started the whole process. Now I joined the army, and uh, about a year later, I joined the military. I joined the army and was gone for six years, and um, I got back into the calling thing um, in the mid 90s, probably in in South Carolina. I was stationed at Fort Jackson in Columbia, and. Um, Went to Edgefield to the national headquarters, and they used to have the South Carolina State there and called in that a few times. I got my butt kicked and had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue about calling on the stage. What we do on the stage is we can get into I'll get into that. But to finish the story, fast forward another 8, 10 years, started pro staffing with companies. I'm actually not a call manufacturer. I'm our pro staff, Woodhaven's pro staff manager. Um, Mike Pentecost owns Woodhaven. I do not own Woodhaven. Yeah. So, but, uh, but I've been a part of it, you know, and I help with the calls, and I help have my signature line of calls that I do. And... Um, it's just a big family, and it's a great organization, and proud to be part of it. And that's started pro staffing, and started winning more competitions, and it just helped me work my way up. And you know, and now I've I'm doing what I love, not full time, but I uh, it's it's a great time and a great adventure. It's always fun to be out on the trails with folks that you that share the same passions you do. So, yeah. But yeah, sorry, I, I probably could end it that quicker. Said, oh, I'm not the actual call manufacturer. I build mouth calls. You know, I build my designs. Um, the shop builds some to spec. I build my designs and I build my own mouth calls. I've turned a few f friction calls, but yeah, but I don't manufacture calls per se. So, any other questions? Yes, sir. Do you, do you use decoys? I do not use decoys. Um, I uh, learned without using them, couldn't afford them when I was a kid. I learned, I started turkey hunting in the late 80s. So, like I said, over 30 years, and I lived over 30 years. And um, couldn't, mom and dad couldn't get them. And they weren't real big in the late 80s. The boom was about, I'd say, early 90s, mid 90s is when the feather flexes came out. Y'all remember those, I'm sure? Those ugly foam decoys. Um, well, fast forward, I was in the Army at Fort Jackson, Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, I was a E3 in the Army, and I said, well, I'm going to try one of these dang decoys. I've been killing turkeys. I learned to hunt turkeys in setup. Good calling and have him coming to look for you. I, I call it hiding the hen. That is my analogy for the way I turkey hunt. Um, when he, he's looking, if you'll watch my show on YouTube, if y'all would check it out, I'd be appreciative of it. You'll almost, I think every episode, I'm up to like 18 episodes now. Um, every gobbler comes in like this. He is looking. He isn't coming in like this. 
because he's locked into a decoy. Every bird you'll see us kill is locked in, is locked in, and not locked in. I'm sorry, he's looking. He's he's easing through. He might pop a quick strut, and then he runs up and he looks again because he can't see the hen. And when he usually does, I set up to the point where when that gobbler can make eye contact with the hen, he's dead. He's in gun range. And that in the same like you would say, well, how do you hunt a field turkey? I come inside the wood line. I never set up on the edge of a field. I always set up. I work the edge of the inside edge of the field if the terrain allows it, and then I set up 30 yards inside. So you can see him. I've killed so many field turkeys doing that. There, you can see the old gobbler. Just look, gosh, dang it! I hear her over there, but he knows he shouldn't be able to see her. If you sit on the field edge, he's going to know right there. Well, there's no hen standing there. Why am I going to walk over here? There's nothing even there. So that's why I don't use decoys. To continue the story. I tried them in the mid 90s. And I had more stop, wing tuck, you know the deal, and then turn and walk off than I did to come running in. So maybe that just happened for a reason. I don't know that they didn't. I did not get that. You see these birds that come stumbling in, falling all over themselves, strutting around there. I, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, you, there's decoys are great. It's, it's it's a tool. It's another way of killing a turkey. Trust me. I'm not I'm not condo- or, uh, uh, chastising anybody from de- using decoys. I just had bad experiences with them and learned to do it without them. And um, I have shot a few turkeys in front of decoys. I think um, you guys ever see Calling All Turkeys with old Shane Simpson? You ever watch that one on YouTube? Um, no? Yes, no? There's an episode. We, he and I hunted Wisconsin two years ago. And we had two gobblers that gobbled a couple of times and it had discarded us. And they weren't paying any attention to us. And uh, and Jake's, or Jake, Shane's like, well, I've got a Jake decoy. Maybe I'll belly that thing out there before they... There was a piece of... Uh, terrain foliage right here some bushes that the gobblers went behind they were like 200 yards out in this field they couldn't see us he goes let me try to crawl this thing out here and I'll stick the decoy will you do that I said I'll Jake yelp remember what we just talked about the Jake yelp and these birds weren't even paying us any good attention he got that decoy out and I Jake yelped and it stopped them it's all on the show you'll have to check it out I don't remember what episode it was but um, and they peered up and they looked and they saw that Jake and I was and I started Jake yelping and they immediately turned and walked they never even I don't think they ever strutted they just walked right to us trying to fix and get on that Jake and I pounded one up. <laughs> so, yep. But then answer your, sorry to get long-winded, but to answer your question, yeah, that's, uh, I just learned to use them without them. And every now and again, some situation will arise where we'll slip a decoy out, but more than not, I don't carry decoys. So if the guy I'm with says, well, let's try it because you know, nothing else is working, <laughs> we might try it. But uh, I don't carry deeks. So, any other awesome questions? I can get long-winded. Yes, sir. So you mentioned <clears throat> in your early morning setup that you tree call to a to a gobbler on the roost are you going to tree call if there are no other hens around are you going to wait for him to fly down before you make a sound if there are no hens i'll tree call if there are hens i'll call more right yeah because at at that point you're pretty much screwed anyways (laughs) you know if he's roosted with them there's just a really really slight chance that he is going to end up in your lap but to answer your question i'll do this the basic tree talk to him just to make contact with him and um but if he's got hens and, and the hens start getting nasty on the limb, well, then I'm going to get aggressive and talk to them. And the only thing you're hoping to do at that point is to arouse those hens or get a rise out of them enough to come fly down to you to find out, who is this chick over here talking all this crap? <laughs> See, and sometimes, every now and again, it doesn't always work, but they'll fly down to you. The hens will, and then obviously big boys come down with them, and then you sometimes get a shot. It doesn't always work, but it's better than just sitting there not doing anything. You know, because they're either going to come down to you or they'll just fly the other way. There's, there's a lot of options there whenever they're in the tree. You know, they just they pitch out and they're 200 yards away as opposed, opposed if they're on the ground, actually. So, yeah. But on, on the limb with no hands, I, did, I just give them a couple tree, tree calls to contact with them. 
and then I wait till about right time, which you all probably kind of, you can gauge fly down time when you can see pretty good. And then I just give them a fly down cackle with my wing, just like we did with the hat. And then shut up and let the games begin. Let him get on the ground because, I mean, I, I bet we've all been guilty of calling to one on a limb and he just sits there and gobbles for 30 minutes after daylight. How many how many's done that? I have, <laughs> without a doubt. So it's just something I learned to do. Let him get on the ground. Then, then all the fun starts, in my opinion. And then, you know, maybe you get lucky and he flies and pitches right to you. Every solar eclipse, I get one to do that, <laughs> that flies down to me like that right off the roost. I kill very, very few turkeys right off the roost. I think last year or two years ago, I killed three or four right off the roost, and I hadn't done that in, in a coon's age. I can't even tell you how long it's been since I'd done that. So I just, uh, just never been that guy that gets them to fly down right on top of you off the roost. I don't know. Any other awesome questions? Yes, sir. What do you do if you don't know where one drifted? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll do it. Thirty-five yards from. Sit and squat. <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll. Um, but he, well, obviously he didn't. See, he probably didn't see if he gobbled. I mean, there's nothing you can do in that position. I've taken you had this happen, so I'm gonna tell you what I would do, and you tell me what happened. Okay? <laughs> when it happened, I would just try to get Dick down without bumping him. And then if you got that tight to him and you just tree call to him a couple times, and uh, I mean, I've had, had him pitch. That's one time it has worked where you I thought you boogered a bird and you didn't. He was right above you or you roosted a bird and you got a little too tight for comfort and he was right there. And um, sometimes they'll, when they're that close to you, he thinks a hen's right underneath him almost. He'll pop right out of the tree. So that's what I would do. What did you do? Well, I've tried different things. I've, I've called to you. Mm-hmm. Hey, pitch out the other way. Okay. Right. I tried not calling. We tried one last year. Right. He got over probably 30 times. And y'all were 35 yards from him. We could have shot him off the wind. Wow. Go ahead, go ahead. We didn't call. We just wiped around the picture. Right, right. He sailed out the other way. I'll be honest with you. I mean, if it happens, that's what I would do. But I would I would not try to get that tight to roost a turkey. I would I would get back off of him and have him give him some room to work, if you will. Yeah, then because I, I uh, we did that in Florida one time a couple years ago. We we just boogered up on a bird that was just too close. We didn't know he was there, and we didn't bump him. And he pitched out and went, and I just chalked him on the limb a little bit, and he went out and pitched the other way and, and gobbled a few times around nothing. So I mean, ultimately, I just would not get that tight to him. And if it doesn't, it's just one of those things. I don't know. I've had them pitch. I've had them just drop out of the tree, poof, and they're right there on top of you. And then I've had them fly out. So there's not. I don't think there's. There's not a lot of variables in that situation. I mean, you got a turkey you could shoot off the limb, and then and, you know he's either going to fly down in gun range probably, or he's going to go the other way, or unless he flies out a hundred yards and you and he does allow you to work him. Did you try working the birds once they got on the ground, and he just? And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you something else. Another theory, honestly, I said you didn't bump him, you didn't see it, but I actually do have a theory. I, I'm wrong. I'm going to correct myself. I think sometimes they may see something, and you don't booger them and bust them off the roost, but they saw something they didn't like, or even though they didn't identify it, and that may be, they may have actually seen something, not enough to shut him down and, and not make him gobble, but enough to make him go, I'm not going to get involved with whatever I saw over there, but I'm going to still get up here and gobble. So that could be, they could be seeing you, but not just, just a slight movement, just something out of place, you know what I'm saying? And that could be another scenario. Miriams and Rios are notorious for that. They'll, go, they'll see you and gobble. If, you've, if anybody out here done of any extensive Miriam or, or Rio hunting? Not really? No? You have? Would you say that's true? You had them? Yeah, yeah. I've seen them where they'll, they'll you know they see you. <laughs> you know they see you. So... 
Not like, I don't mean for me to you. I don't mean that exactly. I mean, maybe he's in a tree or he's in a field or something like that. You know, long distance. I've had that happen a lot. So, Any other awesome questions? Y'all are doing great. This is fun. We could just do a whole seminar like this and not even talk about anything but what y'all are talking about. <laughs> Any other questions? Products? Uh, tactics? Calling? Um, yes, ma'am. Um, I've had different people. Like, I'm just starting with the math call. I've had people tell me, like, when you first start out, just using uh, double read, no cut, or this cut. And I've had other people say it makes absolutely no difference. What, what's the good call for the <clears throat> See, that, I don't know where that started the double read straight single read triple read straight no no cuts but it's harder to make a clean consistent yelp with a straight reading call than it is to put something with cuts in it so i always tell people and i, I was told the same thing when i was a kid oh you got to have a double read get you just a straight double read that's what you're gonna learn on now you mind you in the, in the late 80s the, the cutter call was one of the first you know with cuts the old boss hen quaker boy had out with it was a two read with little slits on each side of the long read the top read um, y'all probably remember that one I, I ran that one a lot um, but I think if you can get a little bit of rasp out of the call then that's what I would start with and anything with a cut maybe a two-readed call we've got a brand new one this is not a big giant product plug but it's a two-readed split V that we just came out with my buddy Billy Argus designed it with Woodhaven we, it's called a blue viper it's two reads and it's a light readed call light stretch and then the wingtips like my signature call on, a, on my V is clipped off and that allows you to get a little sweet front end on the Yelp note but we got them at the booth right now it's called a blue viper it's a two-readed V I say use cuts to answer your question because it's just easier for somebody to get a little more turkey voice if they can get a little raspy sound out of it because most hens are raspy now not all hens are raspy we know every hen has a different voice I got to put the disclaimer out there but I don't think by no means that you would not want to start with something with that's just raspy because if you get a clear call and I don't even have one in my call case that's just straight clear rollover it's harder to consistently do that than it is just to get a scratchy old hen yelp if you're using something with cuts yes sir that is a great question. It varies. It very it it just depends on. I travel so much, yeah. and I'm blessed to get to go hunt a lot of places. Well, I just plan my vacation real good. <laughs> That's all I do. But um, that I think it just depends. I arrive at different parts of the gobbling the breeding cycle everywhere I go I might be getting there and they, they're gathering hens and that's a good time because they're gobbling a whole lot you know there's a lot of uh, they're covering some ground I might get there when they're with the hens obviously they're hit up but always remember no matter what phase of the breeding cycle you're in there's always subordinate gobblers that's the ones I like to hunt the ones that don't have hens if they don't have any hens they're a lot easier to call you know that so but it, yeah it, I, I, it's hard for me I haven't hunted a single season like just in Florida in 25 years. So I can't honestly, you know what I mean? We kill birds pretty much any time of year, wherever we go, we make it happen. I mean, um, but I don't think I've hunted one place and seen the breeding cycle unfold completely from gathering to with hens to hens nesting, basically the three big cycles in the gobbling peaks. I have not done that in one spot to be able to tell you. But I think um, it it's, a lot of it's going to depend on subordinates. You know, birds that do not have hens that are not dominant. Those are the birds that a lot of people we all kill that we like to kill that, that just come right right into a call, you know. So, yes, exactly, exactly. That is exactly right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Curious about your filming setup. My what? Filming setup. My filming setup. I have got, um, well, I'm changing every year. <laughs> right now I'm running an XA11. 
Canon XA11 just on a Manfrotto tripod and a Manfrotto just a $150, I don't remember the model number, fluid head, just a basic, real, ba real light, real small, real compact. Um, these, we you know, our web shows, I, I, it's not all about, all. It, it's about being in the moment, trying to capture the moment, as much as it is all the Hollywood stuff that a lot of, I'm just saying, a lot of hunt shows are doing this big production stuff, and myself, Dave Owens is doing Penhody Project, Shane Simpson is doing um, Calling All Turkeys, the hunting public is out there doing it, and it's not all about the perfect camera angle and the perfect shot and the perfect, it's just not about that anymore. So, that said, I use a, now I have an XA20 for a side camera. I do like using two angles because you can see cool stuff happening, switching back and forth. Like Shane Simpson runs like four cameras. I'm just not doing that much work. <laughs> that's a lot of work. That's a lot of editing. But um, but I use an XA20, which was my old regular main camera, XA20, and I've got a remote cord on it, like a 30-foot cord. So I'm, this is for this year. This is brand new for this year, and this will allow me to put my side camera way over there and get a better perspective. Years prior to that, I ran little Canon Vixias. I'm a Canon guy. The little Vixias, which do a great job, but you, you know when you when the heat of battle's going on, I'm, I'm going to lean over and set it down, and it just, the angle's not always great because I can't turn it off and on like I need to to save battery. And you know, so that's but that's all I'm running, dude. Um, so I got Sennheiser wireless mic. I use not a lot sometimes. I don't like using a wireless mic because it blows out the calling so bad. I like I'd rather I'd rather have somebody put earbuds in or and listen to the whispering and try to make it out than to than to have that calling that sounds so bad because it's right here on your. Like this little microphone is, you know, it just blows it out. You can turn it down, you can do whatever. It just, it just still doesn't ever, it distorts it. So, um, and I think that's that's about it, dude. I have a, I have a um, T6i EOS that I carry for all my still pictures, for in the field, for social media and all the good stuff. And just having good memories and great pictures to share it with, and yeah. And let me think. Um, I think that's about it. Pretty simple, pretty basic. Yeah, I understand the difficulty in it, so it's. You know, right. Do you film too? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing about two years. Right. Last turkey season, just getting back into the turkey game. Whitetails is a totally different part. It is, it is, yeah. Camera. With camera gear, it's definitely a part. Extra batteries, light and mobile. I got to where I carry one card in a camera, like a 120 gig card. That way, I don't. I can film the whole entire hunt trip on one card, both cameras, and boom. You know, that's that saves a lot of time and worrying about running out of card. And I carry, you know, half a dozen batteries with me, eight batteries with me. All of my turkey vests. Like, I don't carry a camera bag anymore. We'll put a Walmart bag in the back of my vest just if in case it rains. <laughs> to cover the cameras up if in case it rains, yep. Ah, uh, yeah. When you're trying to be mobile and hunt like I hunt, and like, I mean, you just, you know, I'm not saying running and gunning, but there's a lot of times you're moving, you're repositioning, you're, you're on the go constantly, and then I fly everywhere because I live in Florida. So everywhere I hunt, I have to fly pretty much, Let's, except for Georgia and Alabama, or Georgia and South Carolina, I'm sorry, that's the only two states I about I'll drive to. Because if I do anything else, I've got to burn an extra day of two-year vacation to travel there, so it just doesn't work. So when I'm trying to also pack light when I fly, so... Jake has a drone. My son has a drone. We take that when the few times we hunt in the southeast. If you'll watch Hunt Quest, there's a few episodes with some pretty neat drone footage of uh, some aerial stuff. But that's just another piece of luggage to carry. Um, we do that when we drive to hunts. Those couple of hunts we do out of state and nearby. But yeah, man. Yes, sir. What you go to when they just won't talk? You get a dollar or two on the roof and then nothing, and you can't see them to know what they're doing. That is a great question. I blind call and set up blind call. That's what I do, and, I kill, and I'm getting lazier and lazier, and I'm killing just as many turkeys setting and blind calling in areas that you know their birds are there. 
And you know, what do you hunt? Easterns? You hunt Easterns, Osceola? Rio's, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Rio's. Well, Rio's are a little less likely not talk as an Eastern would be, I'd say. But yeah. Yeah, we just set up blind call. That's all I do anymore, man. I mean, especially if it's hot. I just don't have the gumption to tote all that stuff and, and run and gun in 90 degrees anymore. I find some shady areas. The turkeys are finding shady areas. You know, we just all find a shady area. But I do a lot of blind call like that in that situation because there's nothing you can do. I mean, you, you could run and gun for a day trying to find that needle in a haystack. And I got a buddy that still does it. There won't be a turkey. You'll know there's birds there, but there won't be a bird goblin within 10 square miles. That guy will run and gun all 10 square miles trying to find that needle in a haystack. I'm like, dude, I'm just going to sit out over in this oak tree and run in the shade and run my calls. I just get my calls out and I just run little sequences, kind of like we were doing earlier. You know, I'll do some cutting, some yelping. Um, <clears throat> I'll do a kiki run sequence. I might do some jake yelping. I'll just mix it up, you know. And I think I've got a great theory I'll share with you about, about blind call and why I think it's just as successful as running and gunning. So you're running and gunning and you call every 100 yards. You know the old rule, right? That's what we do. Well, you've only got so far for that one time you stop. There's, you know, obviously turkeys here a long ways. We know this. But he's right around you. If he's not in that circumference area and he doesn't want to gobble, then you just pass the turkey you walk by him. If you're, you're set up in blind calling, I, I even do it even in, in lieu of running and gunning sometimes anymore because I'm lazy. <laughs> and it's just really successful. Is My theory is you got, you're putting your sound out. You could have a wind. I always set up downwind and face downwind of the direction that I'm calling. Now, that doesn't mean he won't come in behind you, but it, what it does is you're facing the direction that the call is carrying the furthest. So I'll set up with whatever wind, set up facing downwind, and what I think in my mind happens is when that bird went gobble because you yelped and cut or you crow called when you're running and gunning, but, but you call, and I call sequences probably every four to five minutes. I call pretty frequently. Every four to five minutes, I'll, I'll do something. And what I think happens is he's in your shot of you the whole time. That old gobbler's heard you. He may not have said anything. And then you cut a little bit more. Then you cut a little bit more. And that old gobbler goes, dang, she's pretty excited over there. And before you realize what happens, he does gobble because he's heard you call for 15 minutes because he's just easing through the area. Because what, what are they always doing? Unless you're strutting in an area just under a shade tree, they're moving, they're feeding, they're doing, they're always covering ground just about, probably 95% of the time. So I think in my theory is that those birds hear you, and they hear you, and they hear you, and, it, and it, what it does, it sets the mood. What we talked about, the, which, sorry, some of y'all missed it, but it sets the mood up. They get them wound up. They weren't excited at first, but after they've heard you for 10, 15 minutes of earshot of just easing through the woods, they finally gobble, and then they'll end up closing on you. And that's, my, that's why I think blind calling can be just as successful because gobblers roam. And when they're roaming, they're going to be roaming in and out of your earshot of your call, especially if it's downwind. Just always don't miss your six, though, because I've had them, I've, I've been sitting there and it's kind of on a windy day and all of a sudden, um, you're like, oh man. You know? And you know that's got to be 20 yards behind you. So then you got it and you're stuck. You know, they come in quiet because that's could, that could very well happen also. When they're not gobbling at all like that and you're blind up, just be on, keep your P's and Q's and, and, and uh, your guard up because he could come slipping in on you. No doubt about it. Great question, though. Anybody else got any awesome questions? This is fun. Come on. You look like you want to ask me something. Come on. <laughs> Anybody got anything else? Anything they want to share? Anything? Come on. A couple of weird experiences the last couple of years. I'm sort of wondering if anybody else in the dream past. We've all had that situation where you blinked wrong and they spooked and ran. Right. Well, I've had a couple of instances the last couple of years where I 
Turkey's a long way away, and I'm trying to close the distance in like a, a ditch. Mm -hmm. It's like they must have seen my cow or something. Sure. And I look up, and the, they're just coming. It's like they were attracted. Oh, uh, yeah. Very opposite. Um, turkeys aren't generally curious like that, but I mean, they may have saw a glimpse of your hat just enough to, why are you over there shaking your head? They did the same thing. Look at them. <laughs> um, maybe they see something that just strikes their uh, curiosity that doesn't spook them. Yeah. Maybe he thought the top of your hat, maybe it was coincidence. You know, it's hard to say. But, um, so you just stopped crawling when, yeah, I just, and he just walked right to you. I, you know, I put a landmark of where I think I need to to get to, to yep. I look up and I go back down and I go a little further and I look up and they're just I mean they're just coming right to I mean they could I got so far down one time I could see the gobbler's head he was gobbling right on top of me just going back and forth and I'm like maybe he saw the top of your hat thought it was the back of a hen or something I, I mean that is bizarre, that's bizarre yeah because I mean you know I've had I've had deer kind of out of curiosity do come up and do some stupid stuff, but I don't know if I've ever had many. That's awesome. I need to hunt with you. <laughs> we need to it's hard to kill a moving turkey at five yards. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's way too close. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, those are easy to miss, no doubt. They're very interesting. You know that you, you see stuff. I'll give you an example. I was hunting with buddies in Kansas two seasons ago, and we were all set up on a deadfall. Camouflage really, really well. And... I mean, had camo netting on the tripod. We were tucked into this. There was no way. We were wearing bottom land. It was real brownish. We were all in brown camo. I mean, it just we blended really, really good. Thanks for coming, guys. I appreciate it. And um, they, uh, this gobbler was start, Rio starting to close, starting to close, starting to close. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Just it's kind of wide open. Some good footage was happening. <laughs> and. Um, we were great. It, it, the bird just started to slow down, and then he started acting nervous. I'm like, "What? What is this turkey seeing?" And I'm like, "Anybody moving? What's going on?" And uh, he was over 100 yards away, and he had closed 200. He was just a dot when he started closing in, and uh, nobody moved. To my knowledge, nobody moved. And that bird tucked his wings at over 100 yards, stood up, and walked around and walked off like hastily, like something boogered him up at over 100 yards away. And and just as what you're talking about, bizarre. We have no idea to this day what in the world that turkey saw. Something out of place. You know, it happens. I mean, Easterns and Osceolas are, I think, even more sticklers than Rios and Miriams for, for picking out what wasn't there the day before. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. So, one of those things you just can't explain. You know, I mean, it's crazy. I would just keep doing it and keep shooting them when they came in. Nah, I don't doubt it at all. Anybody else got any questions before we shut her down? Yes, sir. All right. All right. There's thermocell. There's bug spray. What do you do about mosquitoes? Thermocell. Just thermocell. I've, I've been blessed to be with that company for a long time, and I'm proud, and I love them, and I don't know what I would do without it. And I don't know. I try to remember what I did because I started, I started using thermocells in, like, the early 2000s when they first came out. And um, do you not have one? Have you not tried it? I do. It, I just, it doesn't work? When you move so much, it takes enough. Yeah. I mean, it, so, is it windy? A few the wind can sometimes hurt a thermocell. If there's any breeze, it's going to blow that, that fog, if you will, off of you. Um, 
I guess we used off a lot of off when we were kids. I, I can't remember honestly. Got ate up by mosquitoes a lot. You know, perma, is it permethrin or whatever, or DEET? No DEET. I think you can get the the concentrated DEET. That works pretty good if you don't want to try the thermocell. But if you if you do have a breeze, where you say you're hunting at? Mississippi. Mississippi. So I mean, you're no different. Florida. I mean, you get breeze. You coastal or inland. Middle. Middle, central, okay. So, I mean, you get wind like anybody else. I mean, I'm just, I would set the thermosel if you have any breeze at all, make sure the breeze is blowing back towards you. And if it ain't working after that, I don't know. Um, get two of them. <laughs> I don't know. That's bizarre. You're telling me they don't, they did not work for you. I mean, of course, the same thing you use bow on, you know, but you're sitting in one spot bowing for three hours. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, dude. There's I, that would be the rub on stuff. That's the only thing I could tell you. I mean, if you know, because you're like you're saying, you're walking and calling and walking and calling, and, and it doesn't have enough time to deter them before you know they start. They're just following you around, and it's not concentrated. The fog, if you will, the vapor is not concentrated. So. Oh, yeah. I feel you, buddy. Swamps of Florida are real bad. We're horrible wet down there. I guess everybody's kind of wet, aren't they, right now with all the rain? But, but yeah, I would, I would use probably DEET, that, that better concentrated DEET stuff you can rub on. And it kind of irritates your skin. might take a couple layers off. But <laughs> Who else had a guy? I saw somebody else. Yes, sir. What's your favorite subspecies? species? Oh, man. It is. It is. I, I think I like... Yeah, everybody thinks I'm gonna say an Osceola, but it's not. Them things they're so they're so wary and they don't they don't want to gobble very much generally. And I, I mean I like Miriam's and Rios. And I've, I've I've killed two Goulds and they were a lot of fun and they gobble and gobble and gobble. I just I like Miriam's and Rios because even if even if they kick your butt all day long, they just gobble and you have fun. They just they just gobble and that's what they do. You can roost them. I put no stock in roosting Easterns and, and Osceolas. None. I mean every now and again you'll get one to gobble in the evenings. I get it, but not like those birds. You got and coyote howl or elk bugle or run a duck call and do a high, do a hail call they'll gobble every almost every time and then you go out we're hunting there in the morning I, I love them that and I, I really and I love hunting the north the Pacific Northwest I love hunting Oregon if you oh my gosh all those mountains up there Oregon um, Idaho I love that area of the United States and I've got to hunt I don't have a US lamb I've killed birds in like 18 states I think but I have hunted the Pacific Northwest Northwest I've hunted New York Texas, Mexico, and of course Florida. So, and then all bunch of states in between there. And uh, I, I love that terrain and the beauty of the Pacific Northwest. There's nothing like it when you drive over a hill and you just see vast expanse of mountain ranges for golly. And then you, of course, you now you hunt them in that, and it's not a lot of fun climbing up and down those mountains exactly. But the one, the one thing I will say is the elevation is actually lower there, like than if you go to places like Nebraska, Montana, Wyoming, you're at more like five, six thousand feet. So the air's a lot thinner. Colorado out here's real bad too. Yeah, if you're actually in the mountains hunting Rio or Miriam's in Colorado, but yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. Not that they're any easier. People say they're pushovers, but I've had them kick my tail, just like I've had Easterns and Osceolas kick my tail. Um, but at least you're getting the satisfaction of hearing them gobble, you know. So, any other questions? Shirley's more questions. We can talk all day about turkeys, right? I have just south of Nashville, just south of where we're at right now. I love it. Beautiful hardwoods, man. We had a, we had a good time. Killed several birds. And I killed my two, and then my buddy killed two, I think. And it was just a hunting lease. It was just a hunting lease, it was, but it was a blast. Yes, sir. That's right. 
Fields and hard, or you know, you're talking about blended timber fields, that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, the beauty of those kind of fields, That's what I'm used to hunting. yeah, you can slip on turkey so easy. I love hunting that, that type of area. Um, if you're in elevation, I've always said get on the same ridge with them. I mean, trying to call them on the next ridge can be very cumbersome. It, it works sometimes, and most times it doesn't. Um, get on the same ridge with them. It'll almost always work, or, and then get even with them, I think, um, or above them. You know, they'll come downhill. I've actually caught them downhill, but generally I, my theory is um, when they're coming uphill to something, they can just drop right off. That's always been what everybody, you know, or at least you're even with them. Yep, their escape's a lot easier if they're, if they're going uphill to you, but... As far as the woods and, and how you hunt them, I mean, I do the same things. I'll run ridge tops. Um, the open timber, you have to watch, obviously, if it's early and the, and the leaves are not on the trees yet. That's something you got to watch because you can see for 300 yards. See some of those turkeys will see you long before you ever see them. And it's usually very, very loud because there's dead leaves everywhere. So, But... Um, Working the ridge tops, running gun, and then like we talked about earlier, even when they are gobbling, if I just go into an area and we've you know we've hunted hard that morning, we'll just set up in a place where we got good scratching, good sign. You know, we knew the a bird or two roosted that evening before was there. We'll go in there and set up blind call. But as far as the fields, I mean, yeah, that's a whole another. There's no comparison really, especially if you have woods you can move on them and then reposition on them and set up. Yeah, and stay. And I see, like I said earlier, I always stay inside the woods unless um, unless you just want to put a deke out. Now that's the other thing you mentioned decoys. Now you can you can do that and put a deke out and make the difference in using and not using in hunting fields. You know they they can be very successful, but I don't run them and I have a lot of success just setting playing hide the hen. Like I said earlier, hide the hen. Yep. Any more questions? I really appreciate y'all coming. It's been a blast. This is the first seminar I've got to do here at the convention, so I'm really excited to be here, and I'm glad y'all came with the show just opening. So um, if y'all don't have any more questions, best of luck this spring, and uh, look me up Look me up on Facebook, On shoot me a message, tell me something we talked about might have worked for you, and share some experiences or some success with me. That would be awesome. But I'm on Facebook under my, my Hunt Quest page is Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis, and then I have a, um, an Instagram handle. It's Scott underscore C underscore Ellis on Instagram, and message me any one of those places and let me know how your season's going. I appreciate y'all coming. Have a nice day. Go spend some money, people. <laughs> All right. I hope that you enjoyed the seminar that Scott put on at the NWTF convention this past February. As you probably heard in the closing remarks of his seminar, this was the first one that he's done down there. And I think he did a fantastic job. I thoroughly enjoyed the content. I thoroughly enjoyed learning his approach to dealing with hinned up gobblers. And I hope he's going to do a new seminar this coming February in Nashville. Hey, if you enjoyed the seminar with Scott, then do me two favors this week. First, I would love for you to share this week's episode with a couple of hunting buddies via the share feature of your podcast player application. And you can just share those through text message with a couple of hunting buddies, and that would be a huge help. But also, go to Scott's Facebook page and just drop him a note and say, Hey, I just listened to the replay of your seminar from the NWTF convention on the Turkey Hunter podcast, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule and time away from your family at the convention 
to do the seminar and just let him know you appreciate what he's done for us. And that is all that I've got for you guys this week. I'm about to get back out on the beach. So I have to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.